Hey, Michael, me amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is. Welcome, foolish mortals, to the haunted mansion. Yes, folks, we only have high-class stuff on this show. Ladies and gentlemen, Cosmic Ray is proud to present the biggest little star in the galaxy. W Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 657, and together we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook, community, videos, books, audio tours, blog, and more. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. So the intersection of food, Disney, history, and Walt come together this week as I sit down with the authors of Delicious Disney... Walt Disney World recipes and stories from the most magical place on earth to talk about this incredible compilation of recipes, stories, nostalgia, restaurants, concept art, and Walt Disney in one big, beautiful, and fascinating book. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll have more updates at the end of the show. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Every so often, you will find a fortuitous convergence of some of what you love most. And for me, the words delicious Disney combine my love of good food with my love of Disney and my particular affection for Disney cuisine. And this new book by the same name brings together delicious fan favorite and nostalgic recipes from the parks and resorts and marries them with beautiful photography and some of that nostalgia and trivia and stories into one big beautiful book and I am so thrilled to be joined by the authors Pam Brandon and Marcy Character Smothers to talk about delicious Disney Walt Disney World recipes and stories from the most magical place on earth ladies thank you for being here welcome to the show thank you Liz. thanks for having us <laughs> first things first this is a book that I would love to have researched with you why didn't you go Food and Disney and history, and we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the book. But I always say this, I am a sucker for origin stories, and I want to know your origin story. Um, so Pam and then Marcy, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, where you got started and, and how you ended up coming to uh, this edition of the Delicious Disney book. I'll, I'll jump in. You know, talk about a fortuitous convergence. I mean, Marcy and I <laughs> met... Um, we have a, a mutual friend and imagineer, Kathy Mangum, and we both just love Kathy. And I've known her for years, Marcy's known her, and she said to both of us, you all really should meet each other. You you would, you know, just enjoy because Marcy loves great food. She had a radio food talk show. She's, you know, loves Disney. And she was at Disney World. We met for breakfast on the boardwalk, Trattoria, and as 
we like to say it's the breakfast that turned into lunch because we started talking and we probably would still be there. But during that conversation, we came to the conclusion we should collaborate on a cookbook. And it, that, it was that it was that easy. And now, Pam, I've known you for a long time, and this is not your first rodeo by any stretch of the imagination. Kitchen Magic with Mickey, A Taste of Epcot, the Festival Food Cookbooks, The Chef Mickey, Treasures from the Vault Cookbook, A Cooking Safari. You have, what, about a dozen or so cookbooks that you've done, That's and that's just with Disney, correct? I've actually done 22 cookbooks for Disney. When you when I count the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival books, because we started doing those every year because they were, you know, selling like hotcakes, as they say. And so, yep, yeah, 22 books, 22 books later. Here I was thinking that I had the best job in the world. And then I met <laughs> Pam Brandon. Um, just give me a little bit of your, your backstory. How did you get from, you know, were you uh, a chef in a restaurant or are you just sort of a, you know, cooking at home person? How did you get to you know, not just this book, but the books that you were doing with Disney. Yeah, So, you know, I grew up in a family where we always ate great food. We had a small garden came to, I was a journalism major in college and I, I worked for a newspaper, worked for a magazine. When, but when I went to Disney world as a publicist, which was a whole new uh, endeavor for me in 1996, when we opened California grill, that was this whole new evolution of dining at Disney world. I had, written some travel guide books and I had written one cookbook that was not a Disney cookbook. But when we started opening new restaurants, we only had the two old red cookbooks from the eighties and they, there were no new restaurants in them. So I actually have never, you know, I'm I'm a self-trained home cook, which we love these books because that's who they are for. These are not chef recipes. We take the recipes from the restaurants and we, turn them, we, we, we test them and tweak them so that anybody can make them at home. So that's important to me. I'm not, a, I'm not a trained chef. I'm a home cook, just like everybody reading the book. And we tried to make the books very accessible for, for home cooks. So yeah, in 96, I started, I, you know, pitched the idea to Disney Publishing that we should do a new cookbook to create, to promote all the new restaurants. And they love the idea. So the very first one, which I actually just pulled out, is this little tiny blue. I don't know why. This was a great idea. This like binder in a little box. And and Disney Publishing thought it was clever. I don't think it was, you know, it's kind of a hassle to use. But this was the very first one in 96. And that was it. You know, I bought bought books to to help teach me how to edit recipes because there's a real trick and a real secret to that. I mean, recipes are not easy. Editing is a huge piece of a cookbook, and I love it. And I, I, so they really started as a way to promote the Disney chefs in 96 and it was a snowball from there. And you know, what you said makes total sense because normally, and it's a rare occasion that I'll go into the kitchen and actually take one of the cookbooks off the shelf. For me, it's like reading <laughs> Klingon. I have no idea what any of the words, and here I would, I was skimming through and I'm like, I think if I sort of had, you know enough fire extinguishers around me. I could actually give some of these a try because they were very easy to understand. Um, Marcy, you know, everybody's origin story is a little bit different too. And I love how you got from where you were to, you know, those many years ago, setting your sights on Disneyland and wanting to start combining your love of food and Disney as well. 
Give us a little bit of your backstory, too. Well, I was, I guess it goes back to a radio show I did with Guy Fieri, who did a show for almost three years called Food Guy and Marcy. And when I was doing that, I wrote these radio features and they would be things like, what does your dog toy and an artichoke have in common? Why should you take a restraining order out on your chocolate chip cookies? And then Guy would come in and say, have a snack with Food Guy and Marcy sponsored by. And then I would give the answer. And for instance, the artichoke and dog toy is that a really fresh artichoke, one that's well hydrated. When you put it next to your ear, it will squeak. And if it does not squeak, it has been there too long. It's dry and no amount of butter or aioli will save it. And the other one with the restraining order is that when Ruth Quakefield invented the Toll House chocolate chip cookie at Toll House, she had thought when she chopped up that chocolate bar that it would all meant become it melts and become a brown chocolate cookie. But to her surprise, those chunks stayed intact. But mm-hmm. the thing was, is that she always refrigerated the dough for 24 hours before she baked. And that what little I know about baking, but helps to make a smoother uh, bake and a crispier cookie. So that's why if you wait 24 hours, you'll get a better chocolate chip cookie, I think, at least Ruth Wakefield thinks so. So that actually turned into a book deal with HarperCollins. Uh, through a ser- series of circumstances, people recommended me to an agent, uh, and that was called Snacks, Adventures, and Food, Aisle by Aisle. And then after that, my agent said to me, well, what are you going to write next? And I said, well, I want to write about the food at Disneyland. And he said, uh, what are you going to do different that's, that's different than Instagram and Facebook? This was a very good question because this is a different age, right? So I started my research and I had wondered, had anyone ever written the culinary history of Disneyland and had not been done in any way, shape or form. And so I started working on a proposal. And then while I was researching it, I found this insert um, in 1955, July, when Disneyland opened, where Walt said, welcome to the kingdom of good eating, where food is as fabulous as the fun, like Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. The food at Disneyland is an adventure unto itself. Basically paraphrasing, but that's what he said. And I'm like, bingo, kingdom of good eating, I have a book. So I sold it to Disney. And the surprise for me was that after I was a Disney Editions author and I had access to the archives, I started learning so much and realized that Walt had opened four state-of-the-art studios in his night, four state-of-the-art restaurants in his 1940 studio. He's only 39 years old, by the way, at the time. And that was because his previous studios never had a commissary. And he subsidized subsidized that food for his workers. And so now I had another chapter, Walt at the studio. And then the big surprise was I did, was friends with one of Walt's granddaughters, casually, uh, Jenny. And I was really afraid to tell her that I'd sold a book about her grandpa. <laughs> but I like, but I said, dear, you know, I wrote her an email and said, you know, I've sold this book. And she was so wonderful and said, we love that you're going to do it. How can we help? And then I, they spoke to me, which is pretty rare, the Disney family. So uh, Ron Miller, a couple of meetings with Ron, and then with the three oldest granddaughters, Joanna, Jenny, and Tam. So that became Eat Like Walt. It's a history book with recipes that are authentic to the era. Um, And so then after Eat Like Walt, that's why Kathy had suggested that Pam and I meet because Pam was the original blogger for food for all the Disney parks, you know, and I knew her through reading her work and of course through her delicious Disney cookbooks. So I think in that collaboration, we were kind of like, say, how do we take delicious Disney and marry it to Eat Like Walt? You know, Pam is the, the the cook, the chef. She has all the relationships with the with the Disney chefs. She's done at that time twenty one. I'm the historian, and I love to tell stories, and I love concept art, and and we just that's how we got our title of delicious Disney recipes and stories from the most magical place on earth, and for the fiftieth anniversary celebration of Walt Disney World. 
So I love everything about this story, right? Because you guys coming together is like Walt and Roy coming together to collaborate <laughs> this together. And I do. And I sincerely appreciate the fact that you lead off and we're going to talk about Walt. <laughs> but you talk about Walt Disney and that you know your sort of first foray into this was Walt. And I love that quote from Walt going back to um, the 50s where he talked about how the food was as fabulous as the fun was. And even though Walt may, may have had, you know, as we are wanting <laughs> to hear, relatively simple tastes he very much recognized how important food was in the parks as well so now you have this idea that you're going to do this next iteration of this book you're going to add additional levels to it how do you even start going about deciding what to include because we know that there are literally hundreds of dining locations from (laughs) quick service to table service to high-end elegant dining and thousands and thousands of items on the menu, each of one, which is probably somebody's favorite. How does that process go? And once again, Pam, why didn't you call me? <laughs> I, I think I could have used your help. You know, that's the fun part of a cookbook. But it's also you. Ha- every cookbook, readers want a little bit of everything. They want appetizers and cocktails and desserts and and entrees and sweets. So you, that's sort of the basis of any book. But this one, we had so, so much material to choose from, and we knew we wanted to go back in time. So once we knew we had our chapters, we this book has two chapters that no book's ever had before, the Gone But Not Forgotten chapter, which was so fun to include recipes from restaurants that everybody loved but are no longer with us, and then Never Left the Menu, which are classics. And some books will repeat recipes, but not very often. And this is the whole chapter of all those favorites, like the goat cheese ravioli from California Grill or the cheddar cheese soup from Canada. So it was fun. I mean, Marcy and I just had really had fun on the phone sort of together going through things we really felt like needed to be in the book. And also some restaurants just have to be in a cookbook. You know, we knew we had to have something from Flying Fish and Victorian Alberts and Chef Mickey's and and Crystal Palace and Cinderella's Royal Table. Like there are all the all of those then it's just the whittling down and something always gets left out that you wish you could have in there. But ultimately you end up with, you know, this collection that you feel like is a little bit of everything that the reader is going to love. And that's, that's part of the challenge too, because especially with Disney enthusiasts, if you leave something out that you know, it's like, my God, woman, how could you possibly leave this out? But you also, (laughs) There were so many times I was flipping through and I literally got a smile on my face. I'm like, oh, it's so cool that they added this or they included this in. And let's, I want to quickly sort of go through the chapters because I love how you broke it down. You mentioned the gone but not forgotten and never left. But there's eating and imagination, the rumbly in your tummies, tumblies for when you're hungry but don't know what you want to eat, which sounds like me every day, tiaras and crowns, in and out of this world, be our guests and and we'll talk about some of the, the accommodations and sustainability drink me and the happily ever after sweet endings and desserts. But part of what makes this book unique and wonderful. And I think appears appeals to such a wide spectrum of Disney enthusiasts is Marcy, you brought in another sort of layer of the cake, appealing back of the onion, whatever you want to call it, because you added in and I, and I love this so much of the history and the concept art and the stories like this is it's a history book as much as it is 
a cookbook, and, and I really do believe this. I'm not saying a cookbook. I think that you need two copies. I think you need one copy of this book in your kitchen, and you need another copy of this book like I'm going to do. Yes. I'm going to keep on my bookshelf <laughs> because I loved – talk to me about the process again now of, of you, that wonderful challenge of including in this additional information and this amazing art and, and pictures and, and ephemera from so many years. Well, first, I, I would like to also comment on what Pam said. I mean, again, she is the expert. When we're looking at all these recipes, she knows the chefs, the restaurants. I did not go to Walt Disney World until I was 33. So this was a big catch-up effort for me to, to do that. And when we were choosing the recipes, I think one thing that Pam and I agreed upon is if you're going to get, because she's written the other 21, but if you're going to buy one delicious Disney cookbook where you're thinking, we wanted to put everything in it that you would have if you're just going to have one. And also it's going to be a great souvenir for Walt Disney World's 50th. So with regard to history and storytelling, I started out obviously with that quote, that's the beginning of book about Walt was always a showman um, and that he did care about the food experience. I mean, I can't say in a huge way, but he definitely, definitely cared what the guest experience in the parks were going to be. He was not intimately involved, of course, with the operating of the restaurants. And then when I started to you know, looking at where were their stories that seemed to fit. It was kind of like a matrix. For instance, Hoop-de-doo, so fried chicken. Pam and I were talking about, I love Hoop-de-doo musical review. And Pam had said, you know what? That recipe has never been in any delicious Disney book. So, okay, now we know we're going to put Hoop-de-doo. So I kind of reverse engineer it. Well, I knew that Walt loved fried chicken. And thanks to my friends in the Walt Disney <laughs> Tribes and Walt Disney Imagineering, Kevin Kern and Steve Vagnini, they had shared a story with me from Bob Foster, who was with Walt only one of two times that he had boots on the ground at Walt Disney World, 1965, where I am paraphrasing, Walt got off the plane. And while they usually had hamburgers, he said to his team, I want fried chicken. Lily won't <laughs> let me have fried chicken, you know. So Bob went off and found some fried chicken for Walt and they ate it at the bronze. We believe they ate it at the Bronson house, which is now backstage at Walt Disney world. So that gave an opportunity for me to talk about Walt's love of fried chicken. Also to add that Edna Roy's wife made a fantastic homemade fried chicken that everybody enjoyed. And then I could also tie it back to the musical review, the hoopty doo, which is a callback and homage of sorts for Walt and the, the golden horseshoe at Disneyland and the show starring his friend Wally Bogue that he loved. So that was, that's an example of we have a recipe and now how can I tie it back? Of course, I've tied it back being a Walt Disney historian to Walt as much as I could, but the other, it was important to go forward and to look to the future. And so we did that, you know, did that as well. Um, so the, for instance, in the, you had mentioned the sustainability and conservation and all the great work that Walt Disney World and the chefs do. You know, I found a wonderful quote from Walt about how important that was and that Marty Sklar had said that the land pavilion at Epcot is, a quote, and this is so beautiful to me, is absolutely the type of thing that Walt wanted to do, you know, grow food, feed people, find new and innovative ways to do that. So another example of how you kind of either start with a story and then pick a recipe or start more likely start with a recipe and then find a story. And and I love that too, and sort of just quickly touching on on the plant-based recipes and desserts and, and adapting to changing times and the book continues to evolve. And again, you I, I, I love how you bring it full circle back to Walt Disney. But as I was going through some of the nostalgics, because I am a sentimentalist and nostalgic at heart, seeing some of these old <laughs> recipes and, and the beef and barley soup from King Stephen's Banquet Hall, the hand, like the hand witch makes an appearance. How do you go about finding 
recipes from restaurants that are no longer, you know, part of Walt Disney World. We found some of them in, so the, the two cookbooks from the 80s had a lot of recipes in them that we could use, but those recipes were never tested. So we had to go back and retest all the recipes if they were in those two books. And other than that, well, one of the cocktail recipes came from uh, uh, one of the food and beverage folks who, who is still with the company and happened to have, it was the, the Kungaloosh from <laughs> Adventures. She had that recipe. But most of them, so everything, if we found it in an older book, we retested it. And, you know, I wanted to jump back too, because we're talking about the, this book, Jen Eastwood, who's our editor on the book, because it was the pandemic and because Marcy and I couldn't go to the archives, Jen was the most amazing researcher for the images for the book because our hands were tied to go ourselves. And so I always feel like we need to just, you know, just lift her up with us because the, the images in this book that are so gorgeous, so many of them are because she was able to take the time during when we were on lockdown and and find those images for. So I think Jen gets, you know, equal credit for that. This sort of the beauty of the book. Yeah, and the, the, art, the layout artist. Yeah, yes, that's the true. Beautiful, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful job on that beautiful book. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I, I agree. Mean, but yeah, so the old- layers of the book. I mean, there's the content in terms of the <laughs> recipes, which stand on their own. There is the content in terms of the photography, which stay with this could be, you know, it, it, you also need a third copy because it's a coffee table book. It's a coffee table book about coffee tables. No, it's, and there's also, and I loved all of the archival images, not just of concept art, but you have menus and little promo cards and things that I remember seeing myself in the 70s and 80s as a kid. And I love how it brought up this, you know, I know I get emotional about food, but it did. It almost sort of brought up these emotional responses in me because I'm like, oh, I remember that. I remember seeing that. I remember doing this thing with my mom too. I love that. You know, we say food, you know, creates a memory always. And so when you can take the book home and gather your family around the table and maybe remember a vacation you had at Disney World, that's that's my happy place. You also talk about, and one of the, the, the areas that I like too, is you talk about so much of what we do when we in, go out to eat and enjoy is is not just what we taste, but what we see. And you talk about theming and how what we see is part of the experience, not just in terms of the presentation of our food, but where it's presented as well. Talk a little bit about how important that is and, and highlighting some of that in the cookbook as well. Well, I mean, I think that's a huge part of it is no one does fun food better than Disney. And I don't think anyone does theme food better than Disney. And, you know, again, it goes all the way back to Walt Disney. And I he tried, you know, early in the 50s, but the Blue Bayou probably was, you know, definitely his first majorly themed restaurant, which opened in 1967. And what really impressed me was that leap from 1967 to 1971 and beyond when Imagineers started getting involved with the food in a huge way, whether it was the design of the incredible restaurants such as Sci-Fi Cafe or um, Sci-Fi Drive-In or Primetime Cafe or it was the food that they innovated that absolutely fit the land and fit the restaurant in which it was. <coughs> and then the treat for the eyes in the environment 
the treat and the way it is served and the and the way that the cast members interact. It's just so many layers, our cake again, of theming, which is just detail after detail after detail just stacks up and you are in an immersive, entertaining environment. And it's a restaurant, not an attraction. Oh, you guys so get me. We like we're so meant to be friends. And <laughs> and as we're talking, I can't help but but look off to the side as I continue to thumb through the book and I'm smiling again as I'm looking at you know some of the menus from the top of the world supper club and it's not just food recipes but it's drink recipes and I want to sort of circle back to Walt again because I see that you include Walt's scotch mist you you mentioned the um the fried chicken are there any other specific Walt favorites that you wanted to include in here as well well that's tough again back to what your question and I know how do you select these recipes and some deserve to be in the book like the the, the the Canadian cheese soup. It's been in a lot of other Pam's books, but it's such a favorite. But we did make a choice not to add the chili because that's pretty ubiquitous. And uh, so we're, we were looking for different ways to include Walt. And I think that was cheap for sure with the fried chicken. The scotch mist was kind of interesting because we had to actually find restaurants that serve scotch mists at Walt Disney World. I mean, they all do because you can get any drink you want, but it was so important. And I wanted to, you know, to add that little piece of Walt business that he, you know, he he really enjoyed them at the end of his evening. You've heard about a lot of people have heard that story on Friday nights at five o'clock with the Sherman brothers, but also the orange the orange in his scotch mist, which really I refer to affectionately as an adult snow cone because it's ice. <laughs> You know, and Scott. Uh, but when I was interviewing the family for Eat Like Walt, they told me that, and this is not all in the book, this is a little bit more backstory, but why we included it. Uh, when Walt would have his Scotch Miss at home, their beloved housekeeper, her name was Fufu, her nickname was Fufu, her name was Thelma Pearl Howard, would go and get oranges from the backyard and put orange slices in Walt's Scotch Mist. So when Pam was shooting the photographs, I was in California and she was shooting the images <coughs> for our book, I said, could you please put that, you know, put that orange in it because that's just that little tie into Walt that every of our, one, one of our readers can be connected to him is with that little tip because food connects us with not just memories, but with people. And I think that's what's so exciting about including some of Walt in the book. It just gives everybody a little bit of a way to get to know Walt Disney better. One aspect of the book that was intriguing to me as somebody who's written <coughs> before and as a researcher, not just because my love of Disney, but when I used to be a lawyer in my past life, was the research process. And you talked about working with the archives, but tell me a little bit about how much and if there was any sort of boots on the ground, forks in the air research and actually going through Walt Disney World and trying some of these recipes and more importantly, talking to chefs, servers, bartenders, current or former cast members and getting their input, tweaks, recipes, whatever it might be, uh, and including them in the book as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been with the company since 1987. So I've kind of eaten in every restaurant at Walt Disney World. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty close to all of them. But, you know, during, uh, you know, again, this was during COVID when we were working on this book, as much as we don't like to remember those days, but we were a lot, a lot of our work had to be done, you know, Zoom and phone calls and <clears throat> emails because we could, the restaurants were closed. And so, 
certainly prior to that and since then, I mean, now I've gotten back out and Marcy has too, you know, we've done Vince Topolino and, and, uh, you know, the newest Citricos, you know, those sorts of things. So we're back out there during the, during this, I mean, I'm unfortunate as Marcy said, I do have great relationships with the Walt Disney world chefs and um, leadership and Karen McClintock who works in food and beverage we, you know, are sort of the Ethel and Lucy of Disney World food. I mean, we've just been together for so long. If I can't find an answer, Karen usually can find an answer or connect me to the right person. So, yeah, a lot of it. I mean, tracking down, you know, the hoop do do fried chicken recipe is not exactly easy because a lot of chefs were on furlough. But, you know, eventually, um, if you ask enough times and look long enough, we we really were able, I don't think there was anything we ended up not including because we just couldn't get it or find it. We, we really did keep digging until we said, this is what we need and, and we've got it. And then we had to, you know, we had to test the hoop recipe at home, which of course was delightful to test and delicious. And I really did during, during shut down, close down, lockdown, enjoy um, testing a lot of these recipes myself, which I don't often get to do. So, Lou, maybe you can help with the next one. You can do some testing for me. I am here for you, Pam. I am a giver. I am I'm smiling I like, bet. oh, my God, she had the best lockdown of anybody because all you got to do was, was try and test recipes. I mean, were you actually going? Talk to chefs. Were, yeah. you going to, were you going to the parks and be like, you know what, chef, I need to try this, this, and this because I wanted to see if, it's, if it needs to come in the book or not? Oh, just mm. say yes and fulfill my dreams of you just going. Yeah, you know, I mean, I certainly have done it. And I just went to Space 220, finally got to Space 220 for the first time. And um, the chef who I've known for a long time, but he, even though he's rather new at Disney, um, he came out and he said, you've got to try the, you know, the the, uh, cauliflower, the buffalo cauliflower. Yes. Like I didn't order it. And so he goes back to the kitchen and brings it to the table and it was delicious. So that happens from time to time. Um, or we'll have a little sort of, extra something if we haven't ordered a dish that, that a chef really thinks you must taste. Sure. You know, we're like, come on. <laughs> it's one of the fun things about the job for sure. Yeah. Cause it's <laughs> it's the books. it says tested by home chefs. I'm like, how do I get that gig? I, need <laughs> I mean, really Pam did. It was, she's minimizing how hard it was for her to get all those recipes. I mean, everything mm-hmm. was shut down and there was question. there was times like, we really did not know what we were going to do, but thanks to her and Karen, they really came through and got those recipes. Even if you had to wait, she had to wait to the last minute to a chef to come on back on, you know, to be back hired again. She made sure she followed through. And I really appreciate that. Uh, For me, I think with the research, the Walt Disney archives and Walt Disney Imagineering, you know, that's where my relationships are. They were closed, right? (laughs) So there was not getting access to new things. However, uh, Synergy, and Chris Ostrander had arranged a summit of all the authors for Walt Disney World's 50th in January of 2020. So we had all come together. And at that time, I had asked and made queries about certain things and sent things from the archives. One of the, the best one example is uh, Stacy Schaff at Walt Disney Imagineering. She said to me when we were in the summit, so you're going to write about the handwich, right? I'm like, what's a handwich? I mean, I had no idea what a handwich was. She sent me the materials that she had, and that actually led me down this rabbit hole. I I interviewed or spoke with, I think now I've counted 10 people, like six of the Imagineers or five of the Imagineers involved on the project. 
Dave Vermeule and Mim Flynn, people that were at the scene of the crime, as was Pam when it, you know, I was there. Yeah, you know. So it really became, and then I had to make the, I had to develop the recipe by myself because it does not exist. Uh, so that was a fun one. The other one was Orange Bird. I've always loved Orange Bird, and I had asked, you know, again, Stacy, what can you send me? And in the research that it sent me, combined with newspapers.com. I found the orange bird flip recipe, which never, you know, was not ever published in a cookbook before. It was in a newspaper article, uh, the recipe, but we know that it debuted in 1971 at Walt Disney World. So that got into the book, something like Space 220. And I just got to go to Pam. I'm so excited. I <laughs> wanted to write about it. We had talked about it being an important part of our book. But again, this process so a friend of mine is Tom Fitzgerald, one of the lead Imagineers. It takes time to be able to get access to talk to these. You just don't, you can't talk officially just because, you know, wait, waited for the official interview with Tom. And that's how we got some of the backstory for our book about Space 220. And then Imagineering provides those beautiful concept images, concept art images. So it really was, I think Pam said it best, a lot of it relied on our relationships and a certain doggedness and curiosity and just did the absolute best. So I'm very just... I look at it now and it kind of seems, I guess all books seem like that. I don't know about you, Pam, you do so many things, <laughs> but uh, it just, it's always surreal to see the finished product because you have an idea in your head. I mean, for instance, Dorothea Redman, Jen did go through and find our editor through the, her channels, just, I, I will say hundreds and hundreds of images. And I, one night, I think spent three hours just looking at Dorothea Redmond. Um, she's a hero of mine. She's a Disney legend. You would know her best in Disneyland for the remodel of the Plaza Inn in 1965, the Blue Bayou restaurant. She also had a huge hand in developing Walt and Roy's second apartment or, or Walt's second apartment that he would share with Roy above Pirates in the Caribbean at Disneyland in New Orleans Square, <clears throat> also Club 33. And then you come forward to what she was doing at Walt Disney World. And a friend of mine, her name is Tanya McKnight Norris. I met her through other circumstances, but she was, she worked with Walt and she was the designer of the Haunted Mansion. She chose all those things in the attic and she also helped design Club 33. Uh, she had told me that Dorothea, who's one of her best friends, you would explain to her what you wanted the restaurant to look at. And as your words are coming out of your mouth, onto her hand, onto the paper was exactly what you're saying instantaneously. So we like to say in our book that going to any Dorothea Redmond restaurant at Walt Disney World is like dining in her art. Examples would be the Crystal Palace, Columbia Harbor House, and the Liberty Tree Tavern. So when you look at that concept art and you know compare it to your experience in the parks, it's incredibly special. And it's fun to bring somebody like that to the attention of delicious Disney readers who might not know about a Disney legend like her and how much she had to do with the restaurant experiences at Walt Disney World. I love that. I love that because I think sometimes you don't necessarily think of restaurants when you think of Dorothea and her work. And and that's what I mean. That's what this book includes. And, and what I found was there were so many, like going to the Disney parks themselves, there were so many wonderful surprises inside. And, and look, I think for some people, the fact that there is a Disney cookbook is a surprise because you feel like <laughs> you're having, like you're holding like the secret, you know, book of, of recipes. But people don't realize that oftentimes if you go to a Disney restaurant and ask, say, gosh, I, I love the rest of, I love this soup. I love this dish. Oftentimes they'll actually be happy to the chef will come out and share either a pre-printed recipe or will even like sort of hand write it out for you, which I think comes as a, as a very wonderful and, and welcome surprise, but it's obviously great that you've curated them here. But what about for you? Were there any surprises for you that you found during the research 
or the writing process? Well, I know Marcy did. You know, for me, I would say, I would say not, I don't think I had any surprises. If I do, Marcy, you tell your surprise. I don't think, you know, I would not say that, but I mean, I know you did in your research. So uh, well, think about that because maybe it'll come back. But, um, well, a couple of a fun one that was brought to me at my attention by uh, a, our editor, Jen, uh, is that Jen's tattoo, which is sort of the iconic cocktail at Tiffin's and Nomad Lounge, that there's a real Jen. And I'm like, what? You know, do you want to interview her? Yes. So Jen Gersten's her name and she's based here at Walt Disney Imagineering. And she had ev- very, very much involved with everything that happened at Disney Animal Kingdom. And the short version is on one of those research trips, she saw an image and decided that was going to be her very first tattoo. So it's very fitting that it's called Jen's Tattoo and the drink is served at Disney Animal Kingdom in Tiffin's and the Nomad Lounge. The other comes to me, surprises come to me as primarily a Disneyland historian. Three things I thought that started at Disneyland did not. First, the Dole Whip. So Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room and people that know me know I insist that you please, for the first time of the day, call it Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room because it's an attraction with his name on it. It's very important. There's only one at Disneyland with his name on it and two at Walt Disney World. And that would also be, of course, Disney Walt Disney's Carousel Progress. So when it opened in 1963 and it had been intended to be a restaurant, by the way, all this backstory can't, is not in our book, but well, the Tiki Room was in, intended to be a restaurant. That idea was abandoned and it became the show that we know and love today. And it was Walt's first audio animatronic show. So then we have Dole comes in. Dole comes in to be the sponsor. It opened in 63. Dole becomes a sponsor in 1976. But at Disneyland, Dole was selling primarily pineapple spears and pineapple juice. The Dole Whip debuted at Walt Disney World in 1984, not Disneyland. And it came to Disneyland two years later in 1986. The other is character dining. Now, I Walt loved his characters. And, you know, he has a quote where he says, like, we have the characters. And, you know, again, paraphrasing. We have a characters and that's what's special. And when people see those characters, they run up and they get their cameras and they want to take their pictures. Characters were so important to Walt in the park from the beginning in 1955. So I had always thought character dining began at Disneyland, but it did not. It began at Walt Disney World. I believe one of the first things was a Mickey and Minnie breakfast at the Polynesian in 1971 at Walt Disney World. And the third is the Mickey Mouse ice cream bar. I had several meetings and interviews with Marty Sklar, the wonderful uh, ambassador for Imagineering and the head of Imagineering for so many years. And he had told me when they first proposed the bar, he was against it, um, mostly because he didn't want people to bite off Mickey's ears, you know, but, you know, that's time, time, time goes on. It debuted at Nestle in Disney, Walt Disney World. It did not start. The Mickey Mouse bar was not in Walt's era of Disneyland. It debuted at Walt Disney World. So those three things really, I thought were pretty, pretty, it, I mean, I always use myself as a barometer because I'm the Disney geek and the park geek and, and um, the reader as much as the writer. So if I say, wow, I didn't know that. then <laughs> Now, those were the three that really kind of surprised me. We just became best friends, by the way. I'm smiling. I just want to sit back and listen to you tell stories all day long, which you can, which you do, obviously, in the book. And we'll get to some of the other things you're working on, too. I need to sort of come full circle and ask you. know I'm going to ask you the unfair question, which is which – it's a two-parter. It's the favorite child question. It's your favorite – now because I think there's a difference between the favorite recipe in the book – Meaning the thing that you would love to make at home, you just you're or you're thrilled that you that it's in there, 
and your favorite place to eat or, or item to eat in Walt Disney World? Well, in the book, we both have already know our favorite because we it says Marcy's favorite and Pam's favorite. It's in there. And mine is no longer on the menu. It's It was Citrico's back when it became Citrico's and the, the shrimp with tomato feta compote is the most delicious, easy, Lou, you can make this one. I know you can. And I love it so much because living in Florida, it's so simple. It's shrimp and it's lemon and it's tomatoes and it's feta and white wine. Essentially that you kind of use beautiful Florida shrimp, of course, you know, fresh citrus, a good glug of wine, and it comes together in about 10 minutes in your kitchen. And this was Chef Phil Ponticelli back in the day. And it was one of my favorite recipes. It stayed on the menu forever. And, um, you know, and then as the restaurant began to change and new chefs were coming in, it, it went away, but I had it from another cookbook. So I wanted to include it, include it in this one as a favorite, just because it's super easy and super delicious. You can serve it as an appetizer with a little hunk of like crusty bread. You can double the recipe and make it with pasta. So for me, it's the fa- it's my favorite recipe. Marcy, your favorite. And I, and I burnt it somehow. And there's not even any cooking involved. So I really don't know. Low flame, I tell everybody, just turn the fire down. That's the big secret to cooking, apparently. <laughs> Pam, maybe he could buy some cooked shrimp and avoid the, the cooking and the fire altogether and put your recipe. Throw <laughs> it together. It would still be good. I think it would be. That's, that's our hack for you. There's, there's our hack for you, Lou. Uh, yeah, so mine is a breakfast at um, Primo. Piatti at the Riviera Resort. First of all, I love the Riviera Resort. And I talk about that because there's so much Walt in it. There's Walt in the hallways. There's Walt in the downstairs restaurant where my favorite dish is. And I'd like to share with others, everybody, Voyager's Lounge at, before he gets the recipe, at the Riviera is a gem. Go there, have a drink, have a cup of coffee, because it represents all of Walt's travels around the world. There is exhibits that were done by the archives and Walt Disney archives and Walt Disney Imagineering. Walt bought 350 books in 1935. A lot of them became the movies that we love and it was inspirations for Disneyland. The receipts, some of the receipts for those books are in that Voyagers, uh, a replica of the hat that he wore on those adventures, his cameras. And of course, those books, a lot of those books in that library are the very ones that Walt selected. I chose that recipe, the breakfast recipe. It's a plant-based recipe. Um, I'm not vegan or vegetarian, though I try to eat that way a lot. So it was eggs with uh, eggs, um, air quote eggs, with <laughs> eggplant and romesco sauce. And it just was so appealing. But when I ate it, I was sure that they made a mistake. It was so ethereal, like, oh, they accidentally gave me real scrambled eggs. So, you know, the chef there, the restaurant there, the chef's right behind the counter. So I went up to her and I said, listen, no problem. I'm not a vegan. I'm not allergic. But I think you accidentally gave me real eggs. And she said, no, no, I did. I'm saying, no, no, no. And then she goes back and she gets me the product. And it's called Just Egg. It's a plant-based egg product. It was so good. I, it still is. I'm like a complete, you know, wave my flag for Just Egg. So that's how I chose my favorite recipe. And it's my perfect way to start the day. If I can get over to Riviera and have that breakfast, then jump on the Skyliner and go to one of the parks, um, Hollywood Studios or, or Epcot, then I'm having a great day. All right, so if we could just snap our fingers and tonight we go somewhere for dinner in Walt Disney World, where is the place that you go? Oh, the new Citrico's is amazing. I, it's absolutely, that menu is new and they're using you know some local Florida products. Israel Perez, who was at Victoria and Alberts, is now the general manager there while Victoria and Alberts is 
still closed. He runs a restaurant like, you know, it is complete five-star dining. The experience from the time you walk in the door until you leave is first class from incredible cocktails, zero-proof cocktails, wonderful menu, great desserts, beautiful coffee service. The food is just, it's amazing. It's, I'm so, so happy to see it come back and the beautiful Mary Poppins, subtly Mary Poppins themed item. It's not sort of over the top characters, but it's really beautiful and nostalgic. And I was, I was blown away. Uh, well, Pam, that's such a good, yeah. Well, I, I would say I'm, I'm just as inclined to snack around as I am to eat around, but for the purposes of the 50th anniversary, I'm hundred percent going to choose the Crystal Palace because the Crystal Palace is featuring a Walt menu. I've eaten there twice, taken the photographs. Um, it is very pretty darn. I'm incredibly impressed with the Disney chefs. They either reimagined what were Walt's favorites or they presented them pretty much exactly the way they would have been in mid-century America. So this combination of mid-century meets 21st century meets, meets Disney chef love. So if anyone wants to connect with Walt, I would say go to the Crystal Palace. I think there must be at least eight or 10 items that were Walt's favorites uh, and including one that really was impressive in terms of the way, for me, the way that the Disney chefs created it because Walt loved butterscotch. We know that. And he loved popcorn. And one of the desserts is a little cup of butterscotch pudding with caramel corn on top, popcorn on top. And Mm -hmm. it just brought such a huge smile to my face because I thought this is so great. This is what Disney does best. They take, they take stories and food and they combine it again to be entertaining and immersive and you can connect and feel like you're a little bit with Walt Disney at the Crystal Palace. I, I love every part of this. I'm incredibly distracted because all I'm thinking about now is food and the chicken sugo. <laughs> you said Riviera. I go to Topolino and the chicken sugo rigatoni, which I think is is possibly the best <laughs> pasta I've ever eaten in my life. This is a body built on carbohydrates. My last name ends in a vowel. <laughs> Sorry, mom. It's that good. <laughs> but um, And that's the thing. It, the, the book really is, it's a treasure chest. And as you open it up to any sort of random page, you'll not only find some of your favorite, maybe ones you, don't, you didn't even know existed before, recipes from the parks and resorts but i also love the fact that there is so much history so much nostalgia and even most importantly there's so much walt i love the fact that you continue to talk about walt and how important that it is um and i know and and certainly once i want to talk about what's coming in the future for you and uh and walt as well um Obviously, I will put a link to this book in the show notes. It's Delicious Disney, Walt Disney World Recipes and Stories from the Most Magical Place on Earth. But we're going to do one better because I just had the pleasure of seeing you a few days ago. You gave me a copy of this book. You signed it as well as did (laughs) Chef Art Smith, who has his hummingbird cake recipe in here. And I'm going to give this one away on this week's trivia contest. So answer this week. And I'll make the trivia question about food, of course, too, because I'm of a one-track mind at this point. But can you please also tell people where they can find you either on social or anything else that you'd like to share? Well, uh, I mean, I'm I'm really, out of Orlando is, is my other job. So I do a lot, any social media on Ed of Orlando, but also Brandon.pam is my Instagram account. Um, the book also, we wanted to make sure we let everybody know you can buy it at Disney and you can buy it at Shop Disney, but April 5th, it will be in you know bookstores and on Amazon. And so you can find it out there. 
Um, I know you can pre-order it there, but just because a lot of people have asked me when they can't get to Disney or <clears throat> it was, it was, it's back on shop Disney now, but it was sold out for a while. So um, April 5th is the sort of general release date for the book. And I am, uh, let's see, on Instagram, I am Marcy Carriker Smothers, my full name, one. And then uh, Twitter, I am at Marcy Smothers. And my website is MarcyCarrickerSmothers.com. And Marcy, you and I are hopefully going to speak again in the future because I'm so looking forward to your Walt Disneyland, A Walk in the Park with Walt Disney, uh, which is coming out when? Like November 16th. <laughs> it's literally right around the corner. And ladies, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you. One of these days, I would love to get together. Oh, wait, I just had an idea. Maybe we'll get together. <laughs> we'll eat together and we'll do a live dining review that we can share on the show of any restaurant of your choice because I love them all equally like children, uh, much like you do, as I'm sure with the recipes that are in the book. Um, congratulations again. Thank you so much for sharing um, your time and all the, the the research that you did to to make this happen. I, I really sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Thank Luke. you for having us. Yeah, <laughs> sure do appreciate you. Favorite, favorite, favorite breakfast in Walt Disney World. I'm famished. Can you tell? <laughs> favorite breakfast in Walt Disney World. <laughs> wow, I love the France Pavilion. Going in back in the back and getting whatever I choose that smells good and is is there. A baguette and an espresso. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going back to the Riviera for my plant-based food. <laughs> oh. It's time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details which you see, hear, or remember. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And I'm not kidding when I say that because as part of the WDW Radio Nation, you literally help bring every episode of WDW Radio to life, every live broadcast from the parks, contests, giveaways. They are all thanks to you and because of you and for you. And you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month and get cool exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests. We do a group video call every month, a private Facebook group, shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks and much more. And don't forget that a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. You can find out more and join the nation by going to www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So I said last week that November is Native American Heritage Month, and back on show 537, we talked about Native American heritage in the Disney parks and movies with Paul Gowder from powwows.com, and we looked specifically at the Native American presence and references in the Disney parks, including Walt Disney World, including the Liberty Square Riverboat, where I told you that we pass an Algonquin Indian village, and your captain, Horace Bixby, tells you that this village is from, and your question last week was to tell me, what tribe? First, thanks to the hundreds of you who entered, got this one correct, and knew that the answer was the Powhatan tribe. Now, that should sound familiar to you because that is where Pocahontas is from. And if you listen carefully, next time you're on the Liberty Square Riverboat, 
Sam Clemens says Captain, Indian Village to Port, and Captain Bixby talks about how it is an Algonquin Indian village that looks to be from the Powhatan tribe and acknowledges that they even normally would be seen further east because the Powhatan people are notably associated with the colonial settlement at Jamestown, Virginia, and goes on to say that normally I've seen Seminole and Miami this far west as well as the Blackfeet and Crow, but never seen Algonquins. But the answer I was looking for was the Powhatan tribe, and I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio pin, keychain, and mystery bonus prize, and last week's winner, randomly selected, is... Andrea Hatfield. So, Andrea, congratulations. I will get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, in keeping with our theme of delicious Disney and food in Walt Disney World, like some of the chapters in the book, I'm going to take you back in time for our trivia question this week, because as you may or may not know, I absolutely love Disney Springs. It is the fifth park, in my opinion, and home to some of the best restaurants, not just in Walt Disney World, but anywhere in the world. Boathouse, I'm looking at you. And over time, it was the Lake Buena Vista Village, the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village when it opened in 1975. And the question this week revolves around one of my dad's favorite places. Not that you would know my dad, but in context, here's part of the story. And he loved it, due in part because of their signature menu item, which was also part of their name, hint, hint, what was the name of the oyster bar in the Lake Buena Vista Village or the downtown Disney marketplace? And here's another hint. It eventually dropped oyster bar from the name and replaced it with the word restaurant. But what was the original name of the oyster bar in the Lake Buena Vista Village when it opened in 1975? Now you have until Sunday, November 14th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, Use the form there, and again this week you're going to play for the signed copy of Delicious Disney, not just by the authors, but also by Chef Art Smith. And you know what? I'm also going to throw in the WW Radio pin and keychain as well. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I'd love to know your favorite dish in Walt Disney World. What's the thing that you just love, you have to have every single time you go, or maybe a dish that you miss? Let me know by either coming and being part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse. That is our fun, family-friendly, very welcoming group over at Facebook at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You could also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Let me know your favorite dish. Let me hear the passion in your voice or tell me a story maybe about something that you miss eating every time you went to Walt Disney World. You can also connect with me elsewhere. I am at Lou Mangello on social and email me lou at www.radio.com with a question you'd like me to answer on the show. And in addition to being part of the WW Radio group on Facebook, please make sure you like and turn notifications on the WW Radio page on Facebook. This way, when I go live, not just every Wednesday night, but other times that I am out and about and live. For example, this week, I'll be live from Give Kids the World as we get a special sneak peek of their very special, beautiful Night of a Million Lights. And also make sure you join us every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com as we'll talk not just about this week's show, but my top five live Disney Plus Pick of the Week, your questions, 
comments contest. We'll be discussing Eternals very soon. Speaking of which, please join our spoiler support group at www.radio.com support if you want to discuss Eternals. Anything else spoilery without sharing it in a public group. It's a lot of fun, especially things like Obi-Wan coming up on Disney Plus and of course, Spider-Man No Way Home coming out next month. In addition to being part of the community, I want to say special thanks to some members of the WW Radio Nation. I appreciate your love, support, friendship and help and I love being able to give back to you every single month. I want to thank some new and longtime members like Emily Ennis, Linne Heimsoth, Renee Heimsoth, and Julie Dawson. To find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar a month, please go to www.radio.com support. And of course, while I love connecting and talking with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. Go to our events page at www.radio.com events to find out about upcoming events, including Meets of the Month, in Walt Disney World, we have four upcoming cruises, our Marvel Day at Sea out of Miami in February, our inaugural cruise on the Disney Wish in June, our Very Merry Time cruise on December 5th, and our Disney Fantasy 8-night overnight Bermuda cruise in April of 2023. Again, you can find out more by visiting www.radio.com slash cruise from a, for a free, no obligation quote from our friends and sponsor, mousefantravel.com. This weekend, my Momentum Weekend Workshop is sold out, but if you visit lumangelo.com, you can find out how I can help you either individually through one-on-one mentoring or small group coaching, or by coming to speak to your conference, your event, or your school. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, and all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. There's lots of different ways you can do it, just even by sharing a link to this or your favorite episode on social or your favorite Facebook group. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts. It is incredibly helpful. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Ellie, who says... It's a fun and informative podcast as Lou brings passion and enjoyment on all things Disney, making the time between trips much more endurable. His care for his listeners, friends really, shines through and is a friend you are waiting to meet. Keep it up, Lou. Thank you, Ellie, and thank you again for listening. Just search for WW Radio in Apple Podcasts to rate and review the show there. Finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I know how valuable your time is for helping to build such an incredible community for your friendship and your support. I swear it means so very much to me. I hope that you enjoy the show, that it's put a smile on your face, it's made your day a little bit happier, and that maybe even inspires you a little bit to choose the good, to find the good in everything and everybody that you meet and encounter every single day, and to be the good and be a positive change and influence on others. And together, we literally can make the world a better place, one person, one day, one act of kindness at a time. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope that this truly is your best week ever. Stay hungry. See ya. Hey, Lou, this is Giannis. Hi, I'm Jaden. From Bakersfield, California, with the Mallory family, and we love listening to your show. Just wanted to say real quick that we're going through all your past episodes, and... Mm -hmm. You're the glue, Lou. Like, uh, it was one of your questionnaires that you had with, with people, and they were talking about how you're the glue. Like, you're our Spider-Man. You're our guy. Like, we're all pretty big nerds here, and we love to watch Spider-Man and Marvel. So just keep it up, Lou. Thank you for everything that you do for us and getting us to work and, and all the delicious things that we hear. We can't wait to meet you soon. And everybody in the box, please have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Bye.